This is restless. Welcome back to Restless, the postmortem on the Young, Restless, and Reform. The summer interview series goes on, and we are welcoming back for a second interview this summer, Brad from Maryland. Brad, Pastor Michael, welcome back. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, I'm thankful that we have Brad again, uh, because we always have some very interesting conversation uh, with uh, our expert, expert scientists of the new Calvinism friend. Yep. Yeah. Brad Vermerlin is the author of The Reformed Resurgence, which is a book on the new Calvinism put out by Oxford Press. Um, and it is an excellent book that dives into this subject from a sociological lens and has offered us a lot of interesting conversations in the past. And so today we're actually talking about something with Brad that, from what I understand, did not get as much focus in your book as it might have, but the the experience, the the sociology of some of the major New Calvinist churches. Right. Yeah. It's um, part of my data gathering was what's called participant observation, which is essentially going and being with people and observing and participating as much as you can and um, taking, actually, I would go home and write thorough notes, you know, and then I'd, hmm. later I'd go back and I'd analyze those notes. And so, um, yeah, I, it was quite, quite the process. So, so how long were you uh, attending churches? What, yeah, tell us about this, this field research you did. Right. So the participant observation is, is only one of three types of the data I gathered. You know, I, so the other two are content analysis of materials I could find and then also like interviews. Right. Um, but so the, but for the actually going and being with people, um, it started in the fall of 2012. I flew um, from where I live near Detroit out to Seattle um, to um do this work at Marshall Church with uh, where Mark Driscoll was. So I was there for two and a half months. Um, I moved into a house with a few other guys that I didn't know before I flew out there. And um, my my I was a grad student, so my full time job was to go to as many church events as possible and to take mm-hmm. thorough notes and to reflect on what this might mean for the um the project right so i did that for two and a half months um and then flew home for christmas and then that winter january february i uh, rented an apartment in the financial district of lower manhattan where the um two sides of the subway system meet and the first for the first time so it was a great spot in the city um, i could go up either side of manhattan real real easily and um i did two months at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, um, Keller. And um, so, and then I took uh, about a month off, I think. And then I moved into a, another place right on the Mississippi River in uh, right on the edge of downtown Minneapolis for another two months. And I did the same thing at Bethlehem Baptist Church um, where John Piper was or is. So, um, and again, it was aside from interviewing people, it was just to go to as many church events as possible and take thorough notes and think real hard about how this might feed into what would eventually become my book. Pastor Michael, have you been to these churches? Yeah. So man, I've talked about at some point, you know, using this uh, podcast as an opportunity for us to just discuss uh, the, the times that we've had at uh, some of these churches because you know, we've, we've talked maybe a little bit about it, but we've kind of been saving it. Uh, so now we can, can finally, uh, divulge. So I've, I've spent, uh, some time at Bethlehem Baptist. I've been to a couple of campuses, uh, there I've known people that have, uh, worked at the church and, uh, been at the, you know, Bethlehem college and seminary at a class or two, um, during, during a, a visit once. And so, I've you know, I've been around that a little bit more, I did go to one service at a Mars Hill campus when I was uh, out visiting some friends out in uh, Seattle, right across the Puget Sound from Seattle. And we took the ferry in for the day into Seattle and we stayed around, I think it was a Saturday. And so we went and caught a Saturday evening service at one of the campuses um, near, near wherever the, uh, you know, the 
fairy took us. So I, I couldn't tell you exactly which one. I don't remember, but but we went to one of them. Yeah. I likewise, uh, in my good old new Calvinist days, uh, went to um, church at the Ballard campus of Mars Hill and have been to Bethlehem Baptist once or twice. So, so we all have some experience there. Brad, you talked about interviewing even, even congregants. What Was there anything striking that came out as you just kind of talked to the, the people who were there? Before we get into this, the, the church services themselves, which I think, yeah, I'd want to hear your, your feedback on. Right. So um, maybe to clarify, I talked with congregants um, while I was at these services, um, but I only inter- like formally did an interview for my project with um, either religious leaders or with people who were kind of in a serving or leader position at these churches. So it'd be something like the, the tech guy or the video guy at Mars Hill would be an example of somebody who I might approach and say, hey, like, especially when I was just starting out, like, hey, can I do an interview with you? So I wasn't just interviewing any, any random congregant at these churches. But I, I did interact with them and I talked with them in, in the lobbies and stuff. And um, it, it could be a little awkward, right? When they're like, oh, so how long have you been in town? And I'm like, a week. And oh, well, why are you here? I'm studying your church. <laughs> so um, it, um, it was, what was a the reaction to most people when you would say stuff like, well, I'm, you know, I'm studying the church or, or I'm here to research. Right. I mean. Some people, I guess, didn't care or didn't understand what was going on. And, but others, others would ask me, you know, um, about my research and um, if I, you know, what discipline I was in or what, what my hypothesis was or something like that. I just wonder if people hear that, if they're like, uh-oh, like, you know, especially if you're a, a church that's got some, uh, he, I think especially maybe like a Mars Hill where you're, you know, you've got some controversy going on around the church. You're in the news, not, you know, uh, not uh, that few times. So, uh, if, if you have somebody there that they're like, Hey, I'm researching your church. I just wonder if there were ever people who were a little bit, uh, you know, worried about that or, or concerned about what you were doing. Um, only once or twice did I have somebody who was really standoffish, but normally it was, um, um, quite, quite receptive. Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, at Mars Hill, I, I happened to, um, move, the the place where i moved to the closest campus was shoreline and that's about eight or ten miles north of downtown and at the time uh mark driscoll happened to be teaching at the um wednesday night youth group i don't know why i guess he just liked teaching the youth group and so i was able to bike up to youth group on wednesday nights and hear driscoll preach to a bunch of teenagers which was something else and um i was able to get uh talk with him right away. So it was kind of understood. Um, so I didn't get much, you know, it was, I had a pretty easy time at Mars Hill. If only there were audio of those, those, those messages. I've, I've heard you mention, and I think you say in the book that actually a, 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 just a kind of a sizable number of the people you happen to interact with weren't really sure what Calvinism was. Is that, is that, am I getting that correct? Right. So when somebody would ask me, what's your project on, I just didn't feel like I wanted to get into a bunch of stuff about religion in the modern world and field theory and secularization. Right. Yes. I just didn't want to go there. And so I would, I would just come back with, well, it's, it's on Calvinism. Do you know what Calvinism is? And most people would say, yeah, or like, yeah, I understand. Like, but a sizable minority didn't know what Calvinism was. And so that's a little factoid that actually ended up in my book as one of the as one of the causal mechanisms that helped to explain the new Calvinist movement is that a a um, sizable minority of the lay people who um, make up the substance of this religious movement didn't actually know that they were part of a movement for Calvinism. I've actually heard that now. I I don't know if it was after or before uh, you know talking to you the last time. I remember you saying that or or maybe reading it, and uh, I've had at least a couple conversations where people have mentioned. Oh yeah, like in my church, you know, this new Calvinist church, you know, growing up in it, it, like most people didn't know, like most people didn't know what Calvinism was or, or whatever. So there's, I've definitely heard that uh, elsewhere as well. And and so you mentioned uh, meeting Mark Triscoll, telling him about this. What did you know? Did you? What did the churches? What did the leaders of the churches think about having a sociologist there for two months? researching well the thing is i 
Well, I, you, this isn't the question you asked, but I'll, I'll answer it. Uh, so I emailed each church beforehand asking them if I, I asked, hey, I'm a PhD student in soci- sociology wanting to write my dissertation on the new Calvinist movement. Can I come study your church for two months? And they all either didn't answer or answered no. Um, Interesting. <laughs> really? Yeah. But I went anyway. Because yeah. It's a, it, because it's a church. And uh, <laughs> what are they going to do? Say, I can't go to church, right? <laughs> yeah. So I went anyway for each one. And it only, uh, it, it varied in time between one week and, and um, four weeks to how long it took me to actually be able to sit down with one of the pastors um, and do a formal interview for the project. So um, it took a little bit of, of uh, you know, effort on my part to, look for somebody who was in charge and try to approach them and try to figure out like who to talk to and how I could get them to participate in my project, so to speak, because having already gotten a no or ignored, um, but it ended up all, all three ended up being, being um, very hospitable and um, you know, being very cooperative with my project. Hmm. Actually at Mars Hill, um, the last two days I was in Seattle, they gave me a, the, the, the first, the second to last day, they gave me a guided tour at the B-52, is a B-50 building, um, where it was like the, it wasn't one of their places where they meet for worship, but it was like the headquarter building, right? Where they do the video production and they make their albums and stuff like that. And all their staging is stored and all the work, everybody who's kind of on their laptops working on a day-to-day basis, that's where the central offices are. So they gave me a guided tour of that building. And then the next day they let me come in and just kind of shadow them for a work day. So it was that level of, of, of um, hus- hus- hospitality and access, I guess. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I guess the, the Notre Dame sociologist is, is a bit, uh, maybe not the guy you want hanging around until you meet him. And he's, he's a, he's a nice guy, but what, you know, the thing you mentioned in our first interview uh, that I wanted to, to talk more about that I thought was really interesting and that I thought our listeners would be interested in is when you went to these church services, you, you mentioned that you were looking for what they were communicating in everything but the sermon. Right. Yeah. What do you mean by that? What is a sociologist looking for in a church service? <laughs> right. Way? Well, I mean, not every sociologist chooses to approach it the way I chose to approach it. But basically, I'd already, I already had um, pretty good familiarity with each of these three um, churches in terms of their sermons, right? Because they're, they're, and I knew they were accessible online, and I knew that any church service I was in, some version, if some version of that sermon, if not that exact sermon, would end up online. And if I needed to, I could go back and listen to it for any information I needed. And so. I just kind of made a strategic decision to, whenever I would, I would attend weekend services to pay attention to everything except the sermon. So um, it was, I don't always do that at church. Uh, sometimes I do still, but um, it did make for a kind of a unique way to experience a, a weekend service. So, and a lot of times I would just like not even be in the main auditorium or sanctuary or whatever you want to call it. And I would go, you know, out in the lobby and try to strike up conversations with people, that type, that type of thing. And I would show, I would always make sure to show up early and stay late. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, you guys are pastors, you know, the types of things that any evangelical church is doing lots of stuff from, you know, programming and music and, and getting everything in order and everything that goes into just doing a, your typical, even a typical, you know, weekend service. Yeah. 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 And I just, I find the, you know, the, the idea uh, striking, um, right. There's a very, there's the, the statement from the ancient church, which is lex orendi, lex credendi, right. The law of praying is the law of belief. And right. The church has believed uh, historically that what you do, what you sing, what you worship, what you pray is going to be what you believe. And that's why when you made this comment, Oh, I watched what they were communicating in everything but the sermon. I found that very striking um, and helpful because I think it is, you know, often an over, 
when we think about, well, what does my church believe? We often don't think, well, what do we say with just everything we do? All these, you know, all these things that you mentioned, right, that are going on at a church on Sunday, in the service, in the the programming and all of that. And I found that interesting. Right. So I was looking at everything from the aesthetic of the room, uh, the physical layout of, of the main room and the other rooms, um, the way people were dressed, the groupings of people that came, whether, mm. you know, um, I was trying to judge if this is mostly at various churches, is this mostly a, a blue collar crowd or a, like an upper middle class crowd based on, appearance as far as you can judge that i was trying to pay attention i was trying to strike up conversations with people in the lobby um music was something i was you know i i could pay attention to like anybody else um the liturgy especially at redeemer presbyterian liturgy was more pronounced than at the other two um and other things like you know you're allowed to bring your coffee in at Mars Hill, but you're actively not allowed to bring your coffee in at Redeemer. And they, mm. they, they make you throw it out. And like they had a, on the West side uh, in at Redeemer, they had a beautiful new building, five story building. They had just finished a couple of years prior and like just explore. I would just go walk the hallways and like ask like, so what's this room used for? And you know, that type of thing. So, but yeah, it was, um, and, you know, parking, you know, hmm. Bethlehem knows they have a problem with parking. Uh, not much parking at their downtown campus. But yeah, so I was looking at, I mean, even everything down to like, I know this is kind of a strange thing, but like the size of people's diamond rings and stuff. <laughs> like, sure. Cause I would note, I would notice the different campuses of Mars Hill. There was distinct socioeconomic differences in the, oh in the the people depending on which which um campus you were at based on just like their haircuts and the size of their diamond rings and the cars they were driving so that type of thing interesting can we can we uh go into maybe detail about you know kind of each one like let's talk through you know these different churches or do you have something else matt can i i I do want to do that but i just this is a question about kind of all three of them together are because i guess i didn't know this are they all three Churches with multiple campuses, do they all do that? And is that, do they handle it the same? Um, in a sense, yes, they're all multi-site churches. Um, they, they approach it slightly differently. So Mars Hill, as I'm sure you guys might know, at first called them campuses. And then they, uh, because of their definition of church, started to refer to each one as a separate church, even though it was still technically and legally all one organization. Hmm. Um so they called them campuses and then they called them churches, but they were functionally the same thing at um, Bethlehem. I believe um, they just called them either sites or campuses. And then at Redeemer, they called them congregations. Mm-hmm. And, and then they, um, th- th- it was a little different. So Tim Keller would rotate quasi randomly, I guess, between the three at the time it was three congregations in the city because they didn't want people they told me they didn't want people just going to whichever congregation they knew keller would be preaching live at so he would just randomly bounce around the three sites the three the three congregations so we, to kind of minimize that and, um, and they he, would you did they all use video to uh to the other sites or campuses no so redeemer did not uh they had so I think they would kind of write their sermons almost together okay. and they would um, deliver the same, almost the same sermon live at each. Um, so whenever Keller wasn't preaching at a certain congregation, the lead pastor at that particular congregation would preach functionally the same sermon. Hmm. Uh, um, at, at Mars Hill, it was, I think, mostly video, although sometimes it wasn't. Um, and it was, I think even more so video at Bethlehem, if I remember correctly. Sure. At the time when I was there, uh, you know, I've been there a couple of times where I was told that uh, Piper did kind of move around at different times to the different campuses, uh, but it was all video then from wherever, you know, wherever that, that was. 
Right. Yeah. And, and when it's a video, that's even more incentive, more incentive for me to pay attention to everything except the sermon. Cause I knew mm-hmm. I, this is what oh, this yeah. is going to be online later. I can go do what uh, other things that I can't, I can't do at some other time. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let, let us, let's talk about them, you know, each individually, I guess we can go East coast to West coast. Uh, so let's start with the, your experience and the, the one that, that Michael and I don't have any familiarity with as, as what it was like there. Obviously we were, Michael and I have both listened to plenty of Tim Keller sermons and material, but you know, we've never been at any of the congregations in Manhattan with Redeemer. Right. Yeah. And I should say, I mean, there's these things that are always in flux, right? So I think now sure. they went from three to four and then they became what's called particularized uh, congregations or churches in the PCA. So there, I'm talking about it kind of back, back when I was yeah. there, things have changed, you know, Mars Hill is there are it's changed a lot. Defunct. <laughs> yeah. So, but so at, at Redeemer, they had three, um, they had their brand new five story building on West 83rd street, which was beautiful. You know, it was kind of modern marble and white and clean lines, and that type of thing um pretty a pretty narrow building but it's surprisingly roomy once you were sitting down in, in the sanctuary um they had another one that was I, uh, an auditorium at hunter college on um the east upper east side if i remember correctly it was east 69th street and then they had a, a, a i don't know if it's still the same building but they were using the salvation army building on um 14th street so farther down manhattan um so those were the three at the time they, they added a fourth like i said in lincoln square and maybe maybe more now i don't know and um so the thing that struck me oh and, and they also have um central offices um cl- close to Times square that is where they have you know their counseling services and their, all their offices and, and that sort of thing. That's a fourth kind of location, but it's not where they do worship services. Although they did have like, um, like people in their twenties would go there for like a worship night on a Thursday or something. Right. So right. it was, it was a little bit open to that type of thing. But the thing that struck me most, I think when I first walked into a redeemer service as a sociologist was uh, and I say this in the book, it felt like a privilege just to be there. Hmm. Um, and part of that, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Manhattan. Personally, I love Manhattan. I think it's a lot of fun. My wife says we can't move there. <laughs> but um, just when you you know come in from the airport and you walk up from the subway for the first time and you just, oh, there you are in the middle of Manhattan. I just love that feeling. And I just really enjoy being in Manhattan. And um, But then you walk into the Redeemer any of these redeemer buildings and they're not all, you know, owned by redeemer, like I said, but it's just like a lot of them have like this kind of really upper class feel like clean lines, sleek lines, everything's clean or marble with like a, I remember at the, um, the, the um, 14th street location, I think they call it downtown. Everything had this kind of golden hue to it, which just struck me as like really <laughs> like classy, I guess. I don't know. That's just my, how I felt um, yeah. at the, at their locations. Um, it just felt very Manhattan. You know, you think about like this kind of professional class, polished, you know, on your A game. And that's what it felt like a lot of times at these, at these services, um, not just the physical aesthetics of the building too, but like, you know, how the leaders were dressed and you have the grand piano and you have um, just everything was really buttoned up and put together. And um Uh, I mean, like I said, uh, I think in another episode, a a good church strategy isn't for everybody, but it's for some people. And I think it worked well and it's still working well for, for where they are. So that's the first thing I noticed. I think that is really interesting. Um, I have, I have been to Manhattan and that sounds, that sounds like something you would find in Manhattan, just in general, the aesthetic you're describing sounds like what you would find there in in you know in an upscale place a professional place well what about the liturgy you mentioned earlier in our conversation that that was the place with the most notable liturgy 
Right. So you would get a paper handout that you would hold with you throughout, you know, and it would have the liturgy on it. Like you get at a lot of Presbyterian churches mm -hmm. um, with the readings and, you know, the kind of the flow of what we're doing throughout the service. Um, so I think if, um, if you were just like a typical, a typical evangelical going to hear Tim Keller preach, maybe you wouldn't expect that for it to be kind of a classic reformed liturgy and to have like a, it felt almost like not old school, but kind of like almost mainline to the, like have sure. a printed bulletin, I guess, of the liturgy. Um, and then, and and did their music that. match that? Did their music match that or was? Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, thundering CCM music by any means. It was like piano um, kind of, they had, they talk about, I think on their website, they might still list, like they have like jazz and eclectic and classical type music. So very like you're in an art gallery feel almost yeah. sometimes. <laughs> so, and th then you'd have people that performing solo singing and stuff. So it was all very polished and well done. Um, not, maybe, maybe not everybody would feel comfortable in that type of setting, but yeah, it, obviously they're doing something right so yeah that's interesting well let's let's move to let's come to the midwest uh let's come to uh near michael's home on the mississippi river um bethlehem baptist church with john piper what what is that experience and you can contrast them if if you want to right so i say in the book that I, so I'm from Michigan and I'm a lifelong Midwesterner. And I don't know if it's because I'm a lifelong Midwesterner or what, but to me, some of the services and buildings at Bethlehem felt kind of nondescript, if that makes sense. <laughs> like they don't have a, other than just Midwest Minneapolis or whatever, they didn't have like a, like a, like a distinct mood to them. Yeah. Um, I guess if you were from, Manhattan or Seattle, you'd, you'd, you'd go there and you'd kind of get the Midwestern vibe where it's just like, you know, thin gray carpet, white walls. We're going to have guitar and drums. It's like, I don't know. I mean, you guys have been there. Am I yeah. missing anything? No, that sounds right. I mean, so I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about my own experiences again, trying to remember. And because even what you said with, you know, the, when there's, you know, kind of a video projection of a sermon, you can focus on everything else. That's how I felt when I was uh, at these places, when there was video projection, like I, I honestly was doing mostly, I was looking around and uh, Michael, seeing what was going on. You aren't a sociologist. You, you don't have the, I, to... <laughs> I know. I don't have the credentials to do that, but I just was, I don't know if that makes it a sin for me or not. You're still allowed uh, to look around, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was thinking about how, like there are a lot of very particular things about the aesthetic and about other uh, aspects like that that I can think of with Mars Hill. And I, I mean, I remember very little from, you know, Bethlehem Baptist and I, it's probably because it's so just culturally normal for me. Right. I was there with like, you know, all these people that I know, cause they go there and it was, you know, it's like, you know, kind of just up the road from where I live. And it was not that it just wasn't that, you know, nothing stands out, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of how I am too. I mean, I'm from Michigan, but I guess maybe if you're from another place, maybe Texas or the South or something, if you were to go up there, it might feel different. But for me, it just was kind of what I would expect from a, a building like a you know, Baptist church. Right. And, and, and obviously Baptists tends towards low church, right? They're not going to go towards these, you know, more ornate buildings or things, at least in the Midwest and, you know, I, I've wondered, it, this is the only church that I think predated um, the founder, right? Tim Keller goes and he plants Redeemer. Um, Mark Driscoll plants um, Mars Hill. Well, John Piper comes to an established Baptist church, right? This is, this is, an, this is a church that has existed just as a church for a long time. It has a you know, I obviously it grew a lot with him there as the pastor, but it's it makes sense that that one is going to feel like, oh, this is what a this is a pretty normal evangelical Baptist church because it was that before it became one of the sites of 
you know, a new Calvinist celebrity. Yeah. They did have a really big bookstore mm -hmm. in their, in their uh, main downtown building, a pretty good size bookstore, yeah. bigger than uh, the other two. So, yeah, that, that, that is notable that maybe I don't go to a lot of big churches, but the only churches I can think of that I've seen with um, bookstores are Bethlehem Baptist and uh, well, I guess I've been to where RC Sproul's church was. They have a very, very large bookstore. You know, they're not really in this conversation, but, and then Mars Hill, those, those were mostly Mark Driscoll books to be fair. Bethlehem Baptist was a much wider, wider selection, but yeah, that, that is a, that was a distinguishing thing. I, for me at least mm -hmm. and they had a lot of um they had expanded their building at the downtown location and so it was quite spacious i mean tens of thousands of square feet of meeting and office space so that was huh. yeah and and inside their service what you know compared to redeemer nondescript or i mean it was a bigger space you had more room i know it's not surprising it's manhattan right like i said in Man and at redeemer it was it was pretty it was just felt kind of, it was a narrow space mm -hmm. and you were kind of facing sideways from this, like in orientation to the street. It was kind of a weird, mm. they got creative with their space, but in, in Minneapolis, it was kind of, it was a bigger, I mean, I would guess it was an 80 or 90 foot tall apex of their, yep. of their um, sanctuary. Yeah. It's pretty open. Huh. They, got the, they have the balcony. So. Yeah. And then they followed a, this you know the music it it obviously isn't if i'm remembering it's not jazz it's not classical it's more i don't know what, if the right word is typical evangelical say, worship it was music? it was it was like unenergetic ccm okay <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah yeah a little more uh, contemporary songs that can feel like a hymn right we're not going we're not going to go all the way and get uh, members from the band Emery and, you know, other, other rock bands from Seattle to come. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, and it, and the, did you have any sense of, you said, right. Um, did you have any sense of if the, the attenders are these, is this middle-class Midwestern? Is that kind of the, the, the grouping? Yeah, middle class, um, maybe upper middle class, you know, families that are comfortable. So, I mean, it wasn't a bunch of blue collar people by any means. Yeah. Michael, is there anything you want to add um, with the, with what, you know, your memory, what you, if there's anything distinguishing about John Piper's um, and these churches, these campuses? I was talking once to a, a pastor in the Minneapolis area, you know, near Bethlehem Baptist. And it was right around when Piper was going to be retiring. And uh, he mentioned that they were expecting at their church, uh, once Piper retires, a large influx of young men with polos and khaki pants. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's what they were expecting to see. And I just feel like, you know, polo, khaki pants and kind of laid back Midwestern, like that sounds pretty much about right, you know, mm. from my experience. And I had a great time. I do like, I do remember it as like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm Presbyterian, so I'm, you know, I'm used to now having a very distinct liturgy. We have it, you know, printed in the bulletin, you know, exactly what's coming up, you know, all the parts of it. Uh, it's pretty much, you know, more or less the same every week with little variations. And, uh, it seems like what I remember mostly in most evangelical churches and probably, uh, it seems Bethlehem Baptist is, you know, you've got the sermon and singing and there's prayers like interspersed probably, but, uh, like this is like, it's kind of built around, uh, everything's built around the sermon, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is probably one of the big, most notable things there is that it is in all of these to a degree, certainly more so, I think just with the sermon lengths at Bethlehem Baptist and Mars Hill, they were built around the amount of time that was used for the sermon an hour, right? Each, um, which is why I always felt ripped off if I bought a Tim Keller sermon and it was then 30 minutes. I couldn't believe I could watch. I could watch. 
Um, anyways, okay, so let's go to the <laughs> let's go to the West Coast um, with Mars Hill, um, the the churches. Brad, how many of their campuses did you attend in that time? Um, I could piece it together if I looked at the appendix of my book, but if sure. I just uh, just off the top of my head, it's it's either seven or eight, I think. Wow. How many were there? I don't remember. I mean, I, well, I don't the, know that I ever knew. I think I went to all of them in the Seattle area, but there were some out of out of state, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I went to yeah. I, all or all or all but one in the in the greater Seattle area, and this was um, I was getting around by you know bus and taxi at the time, you know. So this was before <laughs> Uber really took off. Um, so it wasn't easy. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I went to pretty much all of them in the greater Seattle area. And as you guys would probably know and expect, it was a, it's a non-denominational church. So they're kind of free to do what they want. And it had a distinct mood and aesthetic to it, which was largely defined, I think, by the personality of, of Mark Driscoll. Um, so um, there was variation by campus. Um, which we can talk about, but I mean, overall it was hour long sermons that were, you know, attention grabbing and, and well articulated. Um, the music was thundering and very impressive in my opinion. Um, the colors, a lot of the time, it was either like dark and moody or like, like neon blue and arresting or, you know, and like really like stuff that you kind of are forced to notice so the the coffee was free and good and you know it was just kind of really comfortable almost like hipster feel to it in the book there was an article in the atlantic some years back it was playing off the concept of the metrosexual and it was this article was about something called the lumber sexual where people dress like lumberjacks and it was like this kind of urban professional lumberjack aesthetic and i was Uh like Okay. Yeah. I could, a lot of beards, like beards partnered with like vests, you know? And so you saw a lot of that and it was, you know, younger guys and maybe with their wives and kids, but kind of a, it was like almost the place to be on a Saturday night if you were a Christian. So it was kind of, it was cool. It, a lot of them felt really like cool places. Um, so yeah. Yeah. The one I went to, so it was, you know, we were visiting from out of town. It was a smaller campus because, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't huge. But even, I mean, a smaller campus, I mean, it was probably, you know, uh, over 100 people on a Saturday night, uh, Saturday evening service. And it was a campus where the band King's Kaleidoscope was playing. So they they led the worship. And, uh, you know, so that was, it was, it was very much this, you know, kind of concert feel. But what I remember most distinctly is, number one, it was very dark, right? The way that they lighted everything. I mean, it was, you walk in and it's, I mean, you, you're, it's very dark. And then there's certain areas, right? Like over here by the coffee, they've got more light over here by, they had a book table. It's a bit more light, but otherwise it's just a very dark, uh, feel to it. Very cool. I mean, it felt cool. Um, but when we went, so I was in, in our group, I was wearing, uh, flannel and I was also carrying around a, a video camera. Cause we had been filming some stuff during the day, uh, just for fun, like as friends. And so I just was carrying a video camera and I had these, you know, it's basically the same glasses I have now kind of thick black rim glasses. And so like I walked in and I had like two or three of like, there were, there were, I think two campus pastors and an intern that came up and talked to me. They didn't talk to anyone else in the group. <laughs> and we were laughing about it afterward that we were just like, yeah, like I seemed like the perfect target audience for what was going on. Right. Like just the way that I looked, I look like the kind of person that you would expect to uh, try to connect with at this church. Right. And I kind of fit that too. And I talk about in the book briefly that, I mean, I had an easier time at Mars Hill than other people might have just based on how I look. I mean, I'm a, I'm a white guy with a beard. And so it was, I kind of, kind of no, I didn't stand out if I was like, you know, in a wheelchair or an ethnic minority or something like that. Right. So it was, um, yeah, there's that going on. And, and you did sometimes get, I mean, I, I would get approached. I think they, I think they trained the, at least the deacons to approach people and to like, yeah, it was very clear that they like, they were looking for people, uh, which I mean, I do as a pastor, right. I'm not talking that, like I notice when there's new people in the church and they're the first people I go to talk to it, you know, after a service. So, uh, so, you know, it makes sense to me, but it was very clear that like I was, I was targeted very clearly and we were just laughing about it after the fact. 
Mm-hmm. Also, and when I was there, uh, not only was it, you know, preaching on a screen. So this, you know, at, so everything's very dark, right? And you did all this music and then very slowly, you know, without any announcement, the screen just slowly comes down and then it starts playing. So not only was it that, but this was also, they were playing video that had been pre-recorded when Mar- uh, Mark Driscoll had done like some kind of tour. I think it was, he was doing like the, the churches of uh, the seven churches in Revelation. And he had like yeah. toured the spots where those churches were. And then, uh, then speaking on that from those places. And so it was also just a pre-recorded video, which I was personally nonplussed with even at the time when I was, you know, at least kind of into uh, what Driscoll was doing. I just remember thinking, well, this is just weird. <laughs> it does feel kind of weird to, you know, sit in a big room with 200 people watching the same, I guess they used to call them movie theaters. Right. Right. But, um, so yeah, like I said, it gave me the opportunity to do everything other than listen to the sermon. But, um, and I would, it was usually dark. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of times I couldn't see much of what was going on in the, in the main auditorium. So I would go out in the hallway and try to talk to people, um, whether that was pastors, pastoral staff trying to get an interview or something. So, but, and there was variation by campus in the Seattle area too. So, I mean, um, Rainier Valley, um, the pastors at there even told me like they, they were very aware that it was a very economically and uh, racially diverse area, different languages. And I think it was, the only, as far as I remember, it was the only campus that was, um, I think it was majority non-white if I remember. So it was smaller, um, lower socioeconomic status campus um ballard was kind of the downtown hipster campus bellevue um over the water is much more upper middle class you know double income family area um so the u district university district was mostly university kids which had its own cool feel to it and an old building which was great and cool um yeah, and, and then uh, West, the West Side campus felt pretty nondescript in my in my view, for Seattle at least. It had the same mood and go, same things going on, uh, but I mean, relatively for a Marisol campus, it was you know just pretty nondescript. Um, Shoreline was like a suburb, eight, like I said, eight or eight or so miles north of downtown, and that was that was actually an old renovated elementary school, and it kind of kind of was hard to get away from that feeling of like I'm in an elementary school, huh. so. Sure. It, yeah. It's really interesting is as you describe these, um, these, these places, obviously there's, you know, some, there's some degree of diversity, but right. John Piper and um, Tim Keller are the, you know, the intellectuals that I would have said I respected and any, and, and certainly deservedly so, but, but the churches we wanted right, that Acts 29 was planting predominantly were based on the Mars Hill model, right? That that was the, that that was kind of the mold of these churches is that maybe the doctrine will be, and this is what we've, you know, I've, I find so striking is that, you know, the doctrine will be Calvinism. And I have wondered if the, you know, that the Calvinism used to come inside the confessional Presbyterian box, which probably Redeemer most closely resembled, even though it had its, you know, its own different interests, intricacies. And we were now putting it into, you know, different, these different containers, whether it's Bethlehem Baptist, you know, maybe that's more typical. Obviously Mars Hill is a very different aberration, you know, of two, we're going to take conservative Calvinism and put it here. And I've, and I've always wondered how, what the service, what the, the aesthetic communicates, how well that matches the conservative evangelicalism that, and Calvinism that was supposed to go along with it. You know, the only thing I'll add about uh, Mars Hill, because uh, I do, I should get both of your thoughts on that question is, I remember just being really struck. Uh, I was at the campus where Driscoll was, but I remember being really struck the the take your own communion when you were ready. They had little communion stands set up and they had wine and non-wine. And it was the first time growing up as an evangelical, I'd ever seen wine offered 
with communion and the first time I'd ever seen it. Like you just walk up when you're ready at the end. Uh, and I, I just remember this very individualistic. Um, and again, so it wasn't even, it wasn't even like part of like, like, Hey, just when you're ready, come on up. We're all doing communion now. It was like, Hey, also don't forget your communion. Correct. Yeah. Wow. That it's always right. there and, and available at, or maybe they put it out certain weeks and that was, you know, just happened to be when I was there. But well, I think it is notable that Marcel did do, if I remember right, they did do communion every week, which yep, is relative, relatively rare in low church evangelicalism. But um, they did, it was that kind of like, get up when you're ready. Yeah. Um, well, Brad, maybe to close, what do you, what do the both of you think from your different perspectives on this idea of this putting Calvinism into these whether it's i mean we're i guess we're literally talking about clothes into these new clothes into these new environments um and if there's i don't know if that causes tension or or if it is a you know as we've talked about especially with you brad if this is a model you know is this is this the kind of making an argument you're talking about or is this kind of something else i think it could count as the types of things I talk about in the book in terms of like create, I mean, creating a good aesthetic for your worship services or something. Right. And, and the thing is, it's not like Marcel did a good job and, and, and uh, Bethlehem did a bad job. It's not that simple. It's, it's, it's knowing kind of fitting the feel of your city, fitting the mood of your city. And um, I think sociologically, at least that can be a positive for uh, an evangelical church to, 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 to thrive, I guess. I mean, just think of the alternatives, right? If you, if you have a church that is just completely at a disjuncture from the mood of the city and the aesthetics all off and the, it's just all wrong. Um, that's, but I mean, that's another conversation to have theologically, right? So, but sociologically it's um, hmm. makes sense as an organization. If you're trying to get people in the door to feel comfortable and to buy into a particular religious worldview to um, make them, not only comfortable, but also like impressed almost. Pastor Michael, what do you think about this idea of, well, you're, I, we know you're a confessional Presbyterian pastor, but what do you think? Is there, is there a tension? Is there, is there something that's going to be changed when we put Calvinism in these new clothes? Um, whether it be the, you know, the professional Manhattan, um, you know, the salt of the earth, midwesterners or um the hip starbucks employees and in seattle or whatever yeah i don't know uh i i wouldn't want to go as far as to say uh it doesn't matter and i wouldn't want to go as far as to say well like you know if you're taking calvinism it has to look like this um, mm -hmm. so like, obviously the aesthetic, like we're talking about the aesthetic of a church and the way it kind of flows and like, like these things should be thought about intentionally because they do, they communicate something. Um, now you could say that, you know, uh, for instance, the fact that you walk into a church that's very different, uh, than what you would expect that, you know, it might be a little bit jarring, but also that could be, you know, communicating something that, Hey, they are different. There is something different about this. Maybe that's something that you want to check out. Um, you could also say that, you know, it's, you know, the fact that all of us can walk into Bethlehem Baptist church and be like, yep, it's a church. Like there's something about that. Like you just, you can fit right in. Like you're just ready to, uh, just be there because we're Midwesterners and that makes sense. And obviously, um, the, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, lowercase C Catholic church has looked a lot of different ways at a lot of different times while maintaining, uh, you know, the, the same, or at least generally the same core teachings and doctrine. And so there's, there's something to be said here. I just don't know, uh, what it is. <laughs> I, I know that like, you know, so obviously these things communicate something and you want to be intentional about them. I think you should be intentional about, you know, the space that you're in, the, even the, the things like lighting, the things like, uh, you know, the, the kind of music that you're playing, all of these, these aspects that in some sense are peripheral in that, <laughs> Like they can change and you can still have a church. You can still have a worship right. service. It's they're not central in like, you know, word and sacrament and prayer are central. Um, but 
there is, there is something to be said that, you know, the way you do these different things, it's not neutral and it does, it does communicate in a different way. And so, you know, could you say that there were ways that the aesthetic was used that contradicted in some way, the fundamental mm-hmm. teachings? Maybe like I'm, I'm willing to at mm-hmm. least explore it. I don't know if I want to say yeah. yes, but I at least want to say it could have been, I mean, it could have been, you know, part of it. I, I think, yeah, I think that that is good that, right. There is a sense where uh, Christianity, certainly the, the reformed worship, as we said in a very early episode of all you need is bread, wine, and the book. And you, and that should be something you can port into these different cultures and, and therefore doesn't need to be completely alien. Um, and, and there are probably ways where um, if you layer too much on top there, you know, there can be a problem. But I think the other thing it points out that probably hopefully makes us all more reflective on our own churches, on our own spirituality. Uh, I don't know who said this, but it's just a great quote is that all religion is folk religion. Right. It, it, you know, it's not that you can't just say that, well, Mars Hill, that's a really distinct church, you know, and this is what Brad was saying, that it's not that Bethlehem Baptist lacked that, you know, they all were different, that all religions in every context are influenced by the the surroundings they have. Right. All of us, all the religion we have is influenced by our surroundings, our our upbringings and our culture. And so we, which is, you know, it's again, it's not saying that it's completely neutral or everything's equal, but that we have to be aware of, of what we bring to the table, right? The, maybe the reason all of us, again, as Midwesterners, well, it looks normal because that is the folk religion we're familiar with. Whereas we go to these other places and that does seem distinct to us. And I think that that is an important thing um, and an, an important thing to consider as we consider how to thoughtfully worship God with the church. So I like the conversation. I found it interesting. Um, again, thank you, Brad, once again, for joining Restless, yes. joining Pastor Michael and I, as we, as we today, we just talk about, uh, talk about church, going to church. Yeah, I'm always glad to join you. Well, that was another episode of our summer interview series. This was super fascinating. I'm, I've got a lot that uh, I'm taking with me now just to think about and contemplate and even just to think about like what I'm going to do as far as in ministry and how I see ministry and how I see, you know, the, the work in the local church. And I think the conversation was long, but it was great. And so rate and review the podcast and we will see you next week as we continue the restless summer.